Welcome to Moving the Needle, casual conversations about ways, big and small, to impact student learning. Brought to you by the Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. I'm Erin Hager. Let's move the needle. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Moving the Needle. I don't know about you, but some of my most formative educational experiences, both as an educator and a student, happened outside of the traditional classroom, often outside of the country. How can we as educators thoughtfully and ethically design global learning experiences for our students? And if traveling with our students isn't possible, how can we bring global ideas into our classrooms, fostering a positive classroom environment for diversity and incorporating community-engaged learning? Our guest today, developed and participated in the UMB Costa Rica Faculty Development Institute, an immersive faculty development program designed to explore these very questions. Let's start by meeting the leaders who envisioned and developed this program. Amy Ramirez is the Executive Director of Global Learning and International Services at UMB's Center for Global Engagement. She has been involved in international education for her entire career. Carlos Fayron Guzman, is an Associate Professor of Global Health at UMB and the Director of the Inter-American Center for Global Health in Costa Rica. Carlos and Amy, welcome. Thank you for having us. Pleasure to be here. So why don't we start by having you tell us how this Development Institute came to be? So during the pandemic, um, the Center for Global Engagement, where I work, we had put in place a program called the Globaltimore Teaching Fellows Program, and that was designed for faculty members that wanted to think about how to globalize courses that they were already teaching or maybe develop out a new course that was going to have some global concepts or ideas integrated. We were doing it over Zoom, and we had some really wonderful, very engaged faculty members and just really novel and creative efforts that came out of that that, that institute, I guess, or that program. But um, we really recognized that it was really difficult for faculty members to give creative teaching efforts the, the attention that I think they might have wanted to give it because of all of the other pressures of the pandemic. Um, and then the other thing that I really want to point to was Carlos's leadership in particular of the Decolonizing Global Health Education Summit that took place in May of 2021. And we had so many faculty and students and colleagues from around the world that were able to participate. And uh, emeritus faculty member who has supported global efforts on our campus was able to um, participate as a observer of that of that um, summit, and afterwards she remarked that the way that we really move global into the institution is we actually have to think about faculty development. So when we were really thinking about well, how do we get faculty members excited about um, giving uh, you know giving fresh energy to some of their teaching efforts in particular? and particularly get them excited about global, we were like, well, what could be better than to bring them into a new context where they are a learner in that setting, and also to have some dedicated time away from the busyness of the office to really think deeply about how they would want to move the ideas that we introduce them to into their own teaching practice. 
And uh, the summit that um, Amy was describing was uh, a global health summit that was hosted at University of Maryland, Baltimore, that was uh, focused on the theme of decolonizing global health. Now, of course, within the uh, field of global health, there has been a historical trend to um, develop global health programs, both in research, education, implementation, and uh, policy that really uh, create uh, uh, an overt omission of diversity of perspectives in which different uh, groups might overlook or exclude the different perspectives or knowledge bases. And it really happens that global health is, there's an overrepresentation of certain ways of doing things and certain ways of knowledge. So uh, we wanted to focus on, on what is the emerging narrative coming in mostly from the global south regarding how do we understand a, a global health? How do we stop the stereotyping in our textbooks? How do we address uh, kind of the neglect that still exists on, of, of lived experiences? How do we address the fact that a lot of communities are still excluded? Uh, communities of practice, communities of knowledge, communities themselves, right? So we wanted to focus on on, on addressing some of those, let's call them epistemic injustices, and we were speaking with Amy yesterday about this, that, that still exists within the global, global health sphere. So from that um, stemmed this, uh, one, one of the, say, the, the seeds for the Faculty Institute in Costa Rica stemmed from, from this uh, summit. I do want to say as well that an essential part of running the Faculty Institute in Costa Rica is part of the long-standing relationships that we've been able to develop with the with uh, this particular community of San Vito de Cotobruz, where it was the geographic context that hosted the Faculty Institute. And without that historical, let's say, legacy of relationships that have been built throughout the years, in part by myself, in part by my colleagues, in part by my uh, one of my mentors, it would not have been possible to develop this, let's say, meta-level learning experience where we are trying to embed educators in the behind the scenes of what does global health or global learning look like. Tell us a little bit more about how this program was structured. Sure. So we structured this as a week-long experience where the different, uh, so the different uh, participants would get kind of a core, let's call it a core experience that included uh, sessions on things like uh, ethical engagement or ethical issues in global engagement, things like how do we think about equity when setting up international partnerships. We would also set up part times for sharing case studies about global learning, uh, both from the positive and the challenging aspects. And then we set up the week as well to include uh, it, it, community visits, right, and visits and, and site visits, so to speak, or field experiences for faculty that were representative or of some of the elements that we wanted faculty to be uh, learning from this experience, right? So we set it up in a way that it is it, it was similar experiences that we would provide students, but they were looking at it from, let's say, the back end, the design end, right? What kind of questions should you ask your students when you are engaging with a certain group of stakeholders? What kind of learning objectives should you prompt your students to think about 
before the site visit? What kind of things could you do post-site visit? So it was this meta-level experience that included both the workshop B style stuff and the site visits as well. And there was another component of the week that included faculty, the, the, the faculty members, the participants of the workshop being able to share back and do more of the community in the sense of the community of the participants, right? That let's say we actually did forge a community between the 11 participants that we brought and they shared amongst each other their lessons learned, their challenges, as well as the projects that they were trying to move forward in global learning. So the week was very diverse, it was very active and included what you would think about when you're thinking about a global learning, including time for reflection as well, downtime, and a time for team building, which for us is, is, is important as we think of the next steps of and how do we expand global learning at UMB as a team, as this seven schools that are trying to reach similar goals. Yeah, I really appreciate that. You know, the word meta was coming to my mind as you were speaking in the sense that the the faculty are participating in this experience in a way that resembles what the students are going through. Um, and also the faculty are being invited to think about all the behind the scenes, right? The design, the logistics, the framing of the experience, that kind of thing. Yes, that is correct. That is exactly how we designed the experience. And, and um, we did that at, at, at the levels of things like uh, what are risk management even issues about this? What are the design elements of the experience? What are the certain prompts you want to be able to capture? And not necessarily that was discipline specific, right? We tried to make it, let's say, quote unquote, generic enough that it could speak to the to the faculty members that were at the School of Pharmacy, but also people that were teaching things at the graduate school, or the School of Nursing or uh, uh, PAs, you know, so it was diverse enough or it, it, it was, it had that component that each people could see it through their own lenses. So it would be a meaningful learning experience for them. So can you tell us a little bit about the faculty response? What kinds of experiences or aha moments that the faculty had while they were in Costa Rica? Maybe I'll let Amy respond to the aha moments if she, if she can think of some just, but I think from, from your question, I just want to say that the experiences of course were diverse. And one of the things that surprised me uh, was how the different faculty members from the different schools were, were obtaining different lessons from the different things that we were doing. Of course, they were adapting the lessons to whatever they were working on. So for me, that was kind of a check mark that we were achieving that, but the diversity there was was quite nice to hear about. And then I, I would also say the framing was super important because we were, and just we how we should be with our students, we were extremely explicit on what we wanted to achieve, right? We were extremely explicit, like, we're gonna do this site visit to this community, right? Here is what I would expect the student to learn during the site visit or what I would expect uh, how the site visit would be framed. but this is how I want you to see this as faculty members' this experience and think about that. So that explicitness, so to speak, allowed them to collect the dots, connect the dots, and, or my understanding is that being super explicit about that allowed them to connect the dots on how that would relate to whatever they were working on. Because it's important to say that when we talk about global learning, we're not talking about just quote unquote, going abroad, right? Or crossing the border, going into wherever right? Global learning can happen in your local classroom. So, and because faculty members were coming in with different 
projects and approaches. Some of them were trying to globalize their curriculum through the incorporation of literature that includes other perspectives, right? And they were trying to uh, embed case studies that were maybe not US-based, but globally-based. And so global learning includes all that. So the different participants were obtaining those lessons depending on where we were. But so I'll let Amy add to, to some of the things I just said. Yeah, I mean, there were so many aha moments that it's hard to really zero in on just a few. But maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pick a few. One related to a site visit and one related to a conversation that we had during one of the one of the sessions that we had inside the classroom. So people kept talking about the site visits in so many ways. And honestly, like I could pick so many examples from the site visits, which Carlos, as you as we were exploring a little earlier, like they were operating on multiple levels at the same time. It's like a fabulous example of like what good like experiential learning design should actually look like. Um, really wonderful example of that. Um, so, but people like the faculty members, one of the site visits was to uh, the local hospital in San Vito Cotobruz where we were. And um, the, the fellows, they were able to visit a visit this hospital where they were really discussing some of the some of the reforms that this hospital has put into place to really encourage, to, to really um, connect with the indigenous community in this region of, of Costa Rica. For example, they trained the health professionals to be able to deliver babies in a way that, in the way that this indigenous, the women in this indigenous community actually deliver children. They give, the way they give birth to children, right? So, or like they, had the indigenous women in the indigenous community help to design the hospital gowns that mirror their cultural, their traditional cultural dress, for example. So immediately faculty members were just connecting like, wow, this is just a really beautiful example of what culturally competent care actually is. And this is what we're actually talking about when we talk about what culturally competent care could look like. So lots of faculty members were thinking about how do I bring this example into some teaching where we're actually talking about culturally competent health care. Like this is a really good example of that. And so faculty members were definitely speaking a lot about that. Another discussion that may, another example maybe that I could point to is I, I had a chance to facilitate a, a discussion ar around creating a positive classroom environment for diversity. And um, one of the models that I introduced in that talk was a model about cognitive development, which sort of lays out how students move along different level, a continuum of cognitive complexity from a very dualistic understanding of right answers and wrong answers to a more relative understanding of complex issues and really internalize what their commitment and their values are as professionals. And we just had this really robust discussion about how to move students along this continuum of complexity and getting students accustomed to the notion of ambiguity, especially because I feel like in the professions or the disciplines we're talking about, there are a lot of clear right and wrong answers, right? There's a right way and a wrong way to calculate how the dosage of a medication to a patient, right? 
But in the global arena, a lot of what we're talking about is ambiguous and it's open to interpretation, but it's also really important to have, there's also really important and high standards for what ethical conduct could look like in different places in the world, right? And I think that this model really helped faculty members maybe put a finger on some of the tensions that they were coming up against in their own work with students and, you know, really how opening up a space for complex and ambiguous topics to be explored can actually be a real challenge for both students and faculty when so much of the curriculum is teaching knowledge and skills where there aren't as many shades of gray. So that was just a super rich discussion, honestly, that we were definitely debating a lot about how is it that we put some of some of these issues that we really care about in global learning alongside some of these hard knowledge and skills that we acknowledge are really important for students to master and they need to be taught and taught well. But there's all of this ambiguity out there that we also need to figure out how to introduce professionals and scholars to. Looking ahead, what are your plans and your dreams for this program? Well, we would definitely want to be able to sustain this through time. It doesn't mean that this would happen in Costa Rica every year. We would really want faculty to be able to access these opportunities more broadly at the university level. We would like these to be incorporated into a more of the streamlined opportunities that are provided to faculty members around the university. So for, for us, the, the future of the actual workshop, right, which is it, we want it to live on and to be able to be offered. Now, there is the other question and, and, and that you may not be asking, but what is the future of global learning at UMB? And as a, as a university that has as one of their uh, uh, goals to really grow internationally, right? And, and, and I would say that we really want faculty members to be equipped to do this uh, and do this global work m much more uh, efficiently, much more ethically, much more in, 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 in a way that the impact then can be multiplied. So there's two layers to your question. One is the actual institute, which we want to grow and can carry on and sustain. And then there is the impact that we want to create and our faculty members that will then have a global impact, right? And, and without wanting it, right? Maybe as a, as a byproduct of, of what happened in the Institute, I think a nice cohort of like-minded, very uh, convergent thinking uh, a group of faculty members has, has emerged. And now there is some, something emerging from that, let's call it cross-pollinization is the word that we use sometimes in environmental sciences. That is really exciting. And some of the new ways that university can find ways to impact not just faculty, but students and our global endeavors is emerging from that cross-fertilization, uh, cross-pollinization that I was just speaking of. Yes. And you, you touched on so many of the things that I was already thinking about. Um, we hope, we really hope to make this an annual program, honestly. There's something incredibly special about taking faculty members into the into an environment where they themselves first and foremost get to really be learners in that space. I feel like there isn't enough attention to faculty members as learners themselves and the importance of 
continued faculty learning. Um, and certainly faculty members can learn individually through their own research or their own reading, but there's something very special to collective learning. Um, I am one of those people that will say that learning, learning is a very social act and the best learning comes from being in community with others. Um, so we really hope that we can make this an annual program. And we loved how dis interdisciplinary this cohort is and how diverse it was across a range of social and professional identities. And so much of what we're describing was because of the ways in which each of these fellows were interacting with what we were introducing them to from their own unique professional disciplinary social experiences, right? And um, we had faculty from five UMB schools, and we really hope going forward to get representation from the schools that we did not have on this on this version of the institute, I guess, this, this past year. Um, and like, we did realize halfway through this institute that we really were laying the foundation for very strong interdisciplinary collaboration around global health and education at UMB. And so we are beginning to think about what a community of practice might look like around global health and global education for interested faculty, staff, and students. Um, I just think that it's so important that we keep the conversation going and really bring more people from across the institution into the fold of this work. So we really want to think about how we provide the space for those networks and those collaborations to really take root and flourish. Well, that all just sounds wonderful. What I kept hearing through our conversation today was the sense of community that you very intentionally built. And I think that's going to be the root of so many positive developments with this program going forward. We're really grateful to you both for, for your leadership in this initiative. And I'm very excited to follow up this conversation by speaking to two participants um, in the Costa Rica Faculty Development Institute. Let's meet them now. Elias Snyder is a clinical instructor and director of the Office of Global Health at the University of Maryland School of Nursing. Elias is a nurse practitioner who spent years living in East Africa, working on projects related to health, nutrition, agriculture, and health equity. Eleanor Fleming is the Assistant Dean of Equity, Diversity, Inclusion at UMB School of Dentistry. She is a CDC-trained dental epidemiologist and a board-certified public health dentist with both domestic and global experience in public health. Elias and Eleanor, welcome. Thanks for having us. I'd like to start by asking you both um, about what attracted you to this fellowship in Costa Rica. Why did you apply and what were you hoping to get out of the experience? Eli, do you want to start? So I, I'm new to... University of Maryland as faculty, and I'm in my role as director of global health at the School of Nursing. I was I was really excited to kind of learn about the global experiences that are happening in other schools, connect with other folks interested in global health, and 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 kind of have defined time to to work on different projects that we were interested in in the School of Nursing. So that's kind of what drew me. That's wonderful. Eleanor, what about you? What caught your eye? So I approach this from a different perspective. Um, so I serve as the Assistant Dean for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at the School of Dentistry. And in this work, I think a lot about, you know, health equity and what does it look like for 
our learners and our faculty and staff to really be engaged in elevating health equity wherever we happen to be. Um, I had traveled with the school to Rwanda um, in March of 2022. And so I had this idea that the dental school was very engaged in global oral health and wanted to you know, be more intentional in partnerships um, to make sure that our, again, learners and clinicians and researchers are better connected to um, global opportunities. And when I saw the the call, I was like, well, this feels like something that, you know, could add value to the work and interests that I personally have, but also could be a nice um, fact-finding mission, if you will, um, to make sure that, you know, I'm able to support colleagues and learners in doing this work. So I, I really applied um, to learn more um, and I was also hoping to get out of it um, resources that I could bring back. And I was very open to what those resources could be. Um, but as Eli said, to also be able to connect with others who, you know, this is their primary focus, which, again, I'm the equity, diversity and inclusion person who is interested in global health, but does not have like a true global health act or hat um, for the work that I do. So, right. Well, it sounds like you both went into this um, experience with a with a sense of what you wanted, but also an openness and a curiosity to to how the experience was going to unfold. Definitely, absolutely. Um, one of the the components of this experience uh, was for the participants to to bring or to conceive of an individual project that they wanted to explore during the time there and then and then beyond using the resources and the the experience as a as a learning event. So could you tell us a little bit about about your individual projects, Eleanor? What did you bring? So as I said, I, I came to this very curious to learn more um, in order to bring back to um, colleagues at the School of Dentistry. So my project was very general in assessing the the landscape. You know, what where does global health fit into the current pre-doctoral curriculum for um our students who will become dentists, and also our hygiene program for students who will become hygienists. And I, I had a very basic project, if you will, I mean, essentially reviewing curriculum, but what happened because of my experience is that the project has kind of morphed into me applying what I learned and supporting our student learners and having this broader understanding of what health is and using a lot of the global health pedagogies, for lack of a better word, but applying them to work that we're doing local. So I think the the term is like local global or global local or something like that. I'm not into the jargon, so I, I never get those things right. Um, but that has been what my work has transformed into is, is really having this practical focus of, you know, resourcing our learners to have this broadened perspective about what they're doing, how they're practicing. And it may be that they're practicing in Baltimore or over in Shady Grove and not in Costa Rica or 
you know, Rwanda, but I think the principles are still the same. Well, thank you for sharing that, Eleanor. Eli, how about you? Tell us about your project. So our situation at the School of Nursing is a little different. It's actually pretty unique out of all of UMB. So we're the only school on the campus that has an Office of Global Health. And we've had the office for over a decade now. And it's something that, you know, we're really proud of as a School of Nursing. And because we have this office, we have um, full-time faculty and staff that are devoted to global health projects, and um, we have a global health certificate program, a post-bachelor's certificate program, and we also have um, didactic courses and field experiences for all the students. What I wanted to do during this experience was sort of zoom out and look at sort of the state of our global health program. The office, what is the Office of Global Health doing? What are the courses that we're offering? And just sort of get a lay of the land because as as I mentioned, as a new faculty member, I wanted to really get a handle on what we were offering to our students and then subsequently how that translates into what we stand for as a school of nursing in the global health landscape and what we can then offer our global partners and the communities that we work with. So I was really hoping to get more insights from different folks that were attending. As Eleanor said, really thinking about global health pedagogy. So my background is as a as a practitioner of global health. So I'm a nurse practitioner and I've done a lot of global health work, mostly in East Africa um, with different, in different capacities. But this is my first time being full-time like academic or sorry, as a full-time instructor in an academic setting. So it's kind of new for me to think about what does it mean to teach global health? What does it mean to evaluate global health programs? And that's really what I was hoping to get out of this experience, how to strengthen what we're, what we're doing. Something that was really exciting was the interdisciplinary aspect of it. Many, if not all, schools were present. What do you think that inter- interdisciplinary approach brought to your experience there? It was really nice to be around people that weren't just like, quote, global health people. It was really nice to have DEI experts. It was nice to have kind of more bench science minded folks and to have medicine and dentistry and nursing, everybody really coming together. Because, you know, anytime that happens, I think your perspective, your perspective expands, you expand your consciousness, your awareness of what's going on. And I was I was very pleased by that interprofessional aspect of the of the trip. So let's talk a little bit about the your concrete experience in Costa Rica. How was this experience structured and what kinds of activities did you undertake that informed your approach to your individual projects? Eleanor, do you want to start? So, you know, I, I have to give kudos to, you know, Amy and Carlos and Virginia, um, Don, our um, kind of uh, facilitator for pedagogy. I mean, they did an expert job at, you know, curating an experience. Um, And I think for me, like, that's really what I took away is, you know, when you have students either doing, 
you know, a, an externship or rotation, global health experience, whatever you want to call it. There is a lot of curating that goes into it. it it's not just you're going to go here and provide, you know, dental care to this community on this day at this time. But there's a lot that you have to build on the back end for resourcing and then work that you have to do at the end for the reflection. So our days typically started with, you know, some, some session of, of information. So, you know, lectures, um, the content was set up for, you know, um, adult learning. So it was very interactive. There were small groups, um, time for us to kind of pause and reflect. Um, and then we would have, a field trip for lack of a, of a better term, but we actually got to go and, you know, visit a hospital, um, go and, and see where, um, you know, migrant workers are, you know, laboring, you know, and, and coffee places and, you know, what that looks like from like a migrant health perspective. We went to, um, an indigenous, um, community and kind of, um, saw their, um, community health center again, for lack of a better word, and had some interactions there and, and met with someone who I think would be considered the pioneer, the, the leader, the, the person who really has advocated for, um, health in Costa Rica in a very real way and have kind of some, some time in conversation with him, but everything ended with like the, re the reflection and the debrief. And so we, I left at least with a model for this is how you structure learning. And I don't think that in my personal learning, there has been a lot of opportunities for me to have curated experiences with the debrief and the reflection and the reporting back. Um, so that was kind of a transformative experience for me as a learner and also, you know, to make sure as an educator that I bring that into my practice of how I communicate education. So I, I think in many respects, what I observed has transformed my approach to how do I support learners and how do I curate experiences where the outcome should be clear, not just on learning objectives, of course you're going to do that, but also to the experience that people have while learning and being attentive to what that feedback could be for the individual learner. So it, it's made me very um, introspective and even more curious about pedagogy and how we do this thing that we call teaching and education. Eli, I saw you nodding your head uh, when Eleanor was talking about the debriefing um, and reflection. Is there anything you want to share about, about your experience with that? Well, I think Eleanor summarized a very well kind of the flow of the the whole experience and what i would add is there's something really transformative or magical that happens when you step outside of the classroom and i think people at umb in these clinical these professional schools 
probably have some sense of that. When you go into a clinical setting or into a community, it's much different than the classroom. But I felt like Costa Rica almost took it to a new level because we were in this incredible, it was a forest. It was, we were in this botanical garden and this forest and this learning center. So we were surrounded by nature. And then we would go out, as Eleanor said, to visit these different sites. And I think getting out of the walls, moving beyond Baltimore, it really facilitated an openness between the participants. I think a lot of what happened in the curated time was really beneficial. The debriefs were very impactful. And then what also happened on the bus and what happened when we were taking breaks and walking through the trails or going to have dinner at the end of the day together. I think that's, it really facilitated a more connection building between these people that I hadn't met before. And it's nice to feel, I think when we're thinking about pedagogy, when we're thinking about how we want to teach students or each other, those connections are maybe they're overlooked, but they're critically important because that's how we're going to collaborate more and build partnerships and do more work together is through those kind of off off the table conversations, the things that happened not in the official sessions. So overall, I think, again, giving really incredible kudos and gratitude to the organizers for designing it and very intentionally designing this in this way. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. That idea of, uh, you know, when you when you're outside of your typical environment and the way that you're kind of awake and alert and alive uh, to things that that maybe you are taking for granted um, while you're in your normal environment. And I guess I wonder what advice you might give to faculty to to build those connections, to create those connections when they are teaching in a more traditional setting in inside a UMB classroom or inside a, a you know, their traditional day to day. Is there anything you think that that you could transfer um, from that experience, you know, for folks who may not have the experience of, of being overseas with a group of students? For me, I think it's how do you show up? Um, and I say how you show up because I watched Don and, you know, Carlos and other facilitators like show up fully present, you know, really engaged and bringing their own curiosity to how we were learning. And this is not to say that our colleagues aren't, you know, masterful and how they teach whatever their specialty is. But I think sometimes as like the subject matter expert, you've given the lecture umpteen million times and it just becomes the umpteenth million and one. So is it possible for us to bring that like beginner's mentality and to think about how we can effectively, you know, deconstruct that typical classroom where I am the expert transmitting information to you, the learner, to create the space where we are all learners and sharing I just happen to be the person who maybe did a little bit more of the beforehand reading to inform and guide the conversation, but we really are in this together to learn concepts to, you know, in the case of dentistry, you know, practice our, develop our hand skills for, you know, um, restorative procedures or whatever, but the degree to which we 
can remove as many barriers between learners and facilitators and to be open to the richness of sharing and to creating those moments again for pause and reflection. And it, it can be, you know, as little as, you know, inviting people before you start to just like take a breath and ground. And then you go into your content or it can be, you know, as big as having assignments where maybe you ask the student to, you know, reflect and judge their own crown preparation on a tooth. So what is it that they see and how does that compare to what you taught them or, you know, something related to a, to a experience with a patient, but the degree to which we, we show up with openness and invite that same openness to the learner. I, I think that's applicable in any context, in person, virtual, professional conference, whatever. Eli, any thoughts to add on that? I resonate with all of that for sure. What's difficult is the way that higher education is structured is it it does not lend itself to that sort of learning. It really is structured in such a way in this traditional hierarchy where you have the professor, you have the students. I think for us in the UMB schools, it's also a different level of complexity because we have the didactic along with these clinical skills. We have packed curricula. We have so much to teach in such a short time. And I hear resounding again and again from faculty how, how they want to be creative and they want to be innovative, but the way that it's all structured doesn't really facilitate that. What I found at the Costa Rica experience was it was just a breath of fresh air in many ways. It was very open. It was very collaborative. If you're trying to do that in this sort of academic setting, I think it can be done, but we really need to think outside the box. We need to almost be radical to say, I know that this is how it's been done, but it doesn't mean that we can't shake things up a little bit. And to kind of to elevate what Eleanor was saying, this idea of showing up really authentically as, as maybe, dare I say, removing the title of professor or faculty or doctor or whatever it is, and just coming as a mentor and a guide and saying, I have these skills that I learned through my mentors and guides, and now I'm going to pass these along to you. And facilitating conversation in that space, I think it could really shift the way that people are learning, the way that we are seeing education and higher education. Yeah, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't think about that as part of this experience, but as we're reflecting, again, emphasizing the importance of reflection, it really felt like that. It was sitting amongst friends, amongst peers, with mentors guiding and imparting their knowledge to us. Um, it's, it's interesting that you bring that point up, Eli, because that was actually one of the points that Don made. You know, as we think about what global health experiences look like, you know, sometimes you get that like parachuting model of like, we're going to come in, we're going to do our thing and we're going to parachute out. We got all the power. You got nothing. We're here to help. But what she 
asked us to do in one of the models, which I interpret as kind of community engaged work, is going into global health opportunities to find out, you know, what is it that the community wants and needs? How can the community be at the table? And effectively, where can those power dynamics essentially ease away to where we're all just doing the work or having the experience? And so I think what you're calling for in terms of how we might reimagine higher education is very much alive as evidence-based practice in the global health space. And so it just becomes the question of, in how we show up, are we willing to go in and say that we are all learners? I, I realize that we have some core competencies, some professional things that we must do as outcomes, but in doing that, where can there be these opportunities for the openness, for the sharing, for the accommodations of things and not just we're getting you ready for this board exam because we want you to get the license to go and do this thing. Like, I feel like global health gives us the model to do both and. And I just wanted to elevate that because that's what Don taught me. Shout out to Don. Shout out to Don. <laughs> yeah, if I can add to that part, kind of going to a meta level here. We're in a learning environment. You know, the idea of this academic institution is a safe place for us to learn and grow and make mistakes before we go out into the, quote, real world. It's also a place for faculty and for instructors to also learn how they teach, learn how they view things. So I would almost encourage folks to, to push their comfort boundaries a little bit and what that can do is not only reimagining how we're teaching, but it starts to shift something in our minds. And when you then enter a community, maybe you would be more open to saying, oh, this I have something I can learn from this person. Oh, I'm not just the one, like you were saying, parachuting in. I call it pop in, pop out global health, where you just pop into your thing, you pop out, you keep it moving. But maybe you actually become a part of the community. Maybe you find that you're growing, you're changing as well. So maybe for us as, as faculty, unlearning what we've been taught is, is a takeaway from this as well. That's so fascinating. It's, I love what I'm gleaning from this conversation is that the structure of this experience and the, the, the framework of global health really provides this fertile soil to to grow and expand the way you approach any community, including the higher ed community that we're all part of. And it just seems like the ripple effect of this experience is is really powerful. Um, I am so uh, just thrilled to to hear hear about this. I wonder what advice you might give for faculty um, because I, I know this is a, a program that we're hoping to grow and continue. What advice would you give to faculty considering this experience or a similar experience um, going forward? So for the faculty member who is like me, who does not have a clear, you know, background in global health, but is curious, I say apply. You know, talk with colleagues, you know, figure out where the greatest needs are in your department in your program, in your school, and just, you know, 
write up that awesome proposal and just do it. And also, you know, to realize that, and this is one of the things that I tried to offer um, with my colleague, um, Shani um, Fleming, no relation, um, in the graduate school, we're both kind of the equity, diversity, and inclusion um, people at the schools, is that this work is equity, diversity, and inclusion work too. So whether you come to this as I'm interested in global health or I'm interested in this from some aspect of equity, diversity, and inclusion, know that this is a very big tent and wide space where I would hope everyone would see themselves in. So I encourage everyone to to just take the chance and apply. I think a, lo- a lot of folks might might not realize they're doing global health work because they're not leaving the United States and going into X country. In reality, the way that we see global health at the School of Nursing, the way that I think we're moving towards this or we need to be moving towards this is that global health is really a philosophy. We have traditionally used this model of going to other countries to like quote, help people or to quote, bring a project or intervention. And we need to, again, unlearn that. What global health really needs to be is recognizing that we're we're all a part of this global community. And we have just as much to learn from folks in Rwanda or Costa Rica or another country as they have to learn from us. So when you can really shift your mentality to thinking about global health as global learning, I think then it becomes more expansive, more inclusive. People can find their place within this kind of global health landscape. Additionally, we also have what I'm calling global communities here at home. So we have so many people from so many different countries and backgrounds, walks of life that are here in our community, in our city that we're caring for, that we're neighbors with. When you learn these global health philosophies of cultural humility, you're infusing DEI principles into the work, you're, again, seeing people on more, a more humanistic level, I think those philosophies of global health can be infused into everything that we do. And to give a shout out um, to the previous director of the Office of Global Health, Dr. Yolanda Obalu, she really took this idea to the next level and she developed the Global Learning for Health Equity Network. So this is an idea that's come from the School of Nursing where people can apply for grants and do projects where it's multi-directional. So you would go into Brazil to help support whatever projects they were wanting support with that we have expertise in. And then in exchange, we would learn from them and implement their things that we need help with here at home. So if you can think about global learning in that way, then I really think most people could find themselves in this space and therefore they should, or maybe not should is the correct word, but I would encourage you to apply for this experience and see what comes of it. I am so glad both of you applied and had uh, the experiences that you did and, and that you could share them with us and with our community here today. Um, I, I am so thrilled uh, to have had the chance to talk with you and to hear the ways that, that this experience is rippling out and, and impacting the way that, that um, we can think about education more broadly. So thank you both so much for your time. Thank you so much. That was great. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us today on Moving the Needle. Visit us at umaryland.edu slash fctl to hear additional episodes, leave us feedback, or suggest future topics. We'd love to hear from you.